0: How many of you think Tom Cruise runs way too much in his Mission Impossible movies? I feel bad for that guy, like, just can never get a break. But here's the deal, I want you to think of a time when you ran. I know for some of us, it's been a while, Um, but maybe, like, maybe, I know some of you, like, you run for, like, just fun. Good for you. Um... You know, you you run, you like eat 5Ks for breakfast, and that's awesome. I've never had that for breakfast and don't want to. But some of you, maybe you run after toddlers because they have never-ending energy, right? And that's your life. That's the season you're in, and you feel like you're always chasing them. You're always running after things. Some of you run for a sport. And you do that because you're, you're either an athlete athlete or you are a, an amateur athlete. I used to play soccer every Friday night and run. I know it didn't look like it, but I would run occasionally. Um, and it was this crazy thing that just drove you because you're like, I can never jog, but I could chase a ball. Because there seemed like there was some point to it of me running after that. Maybe you run in a lot of ways. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Jack, I don't run. I occasionally run to the store, but I drive there. And I will take that. Good job. Um, Because here's the deal. We all run in life. In fact, we run after many things. We run after either achievements or accomplishments or experiences or things that we want to acquire. And we think by gaining those that we're going to bring some meaning and significance to our life. And some of that is true. But some of that maybe even you can answer truthfully where you go, you know, I've acquired that. I've achieved that. I've experienced that. And I still feel hollow Maybe not quite as fulfilled. So we run after things in our culture, and in our world. We run uh, toward things. We run toward people we love and people we cherish. You know, I'm just, every time, doesn't this get you, like when a soldier comes home, especially like with the baseball season starting today, and they have like the, the guy, he's been deployed for a year, he comes back, and he's in the catcher's gear, right, and he's behind home plate, and his son's like throwing the ball, the first pitch, and every time he takes off the mask, and the son starts running, the kids start running, the wife starts running. Every time I'm like a baby when I see that. I just cry because I think about how cool is that. Or maybe you've seen that in an airport. Anyone ever had to run through an airport before to catch your plane? Because that's another reason you run, and that's annoying um, with that. There's lots of different ways that we run. Maybe we run toward things. We run after things. We run away from things, too. We run away from things that maybe aren't in our past that we wish people wouldn't know about or we wish we didn't even remember. And we try to run away from it. We run away from the fears and the risks that kind of get thrown at us in life. We want to run away from those. We run away from moments that are daunting and maybe overwhelming and, and you just want to shut down. And so in a lot of ways, we kind of run and hide. And then there are those moments in life where you run smack dab into something. And you know this feeling. You know this sense. You know how it's played out in your life where you run into something, and in that moment, it forces you to face it. Sometimes it might be a negative situation in life, something that's either caught up with you or something that someone else has done and that you're forced to face with, and sometimes it actually can be a good thing that you run into this thing, and, and all of a sudden you're starting to ask these questions, these deeper questions of life of, you know, why am I here? And who am I? And what really matters in life? And what, how does this all fit together? You ever found yourself running into moments like that? And friends, I think Easter is like that. It's a moment that you run into in history. And maybe for some of you here, uh, this is your first time back in church in a long time. And you know, we have a passion to be a church where you don't have to be part of the, part of the convinced to belong here where you can be on your own spiritual journey and begin to investigate things. And I'm convinced a lot of people are interested in about Jesus. They're interested in about Christianity, but they kind of keep it at arm's length because they've run into it, or they've run into some other people that are just, they're, let's just call it like it is, it's, they're weird Christians. And um, they, they just go, I don't want to ever be like that. And so I'm just going to keep people at arm's length. And, and if that's you, I, I get that. I do. I really do. And sometimes you run into things that begin to stir questions. And maybe you've been there where you begin to stir questions of those bigger, deeper longing questions of life. And maybe you don't want to answer those questions. And so you kind of keep it at arm's length. And today I want us to look at a passage in John chapter 20... So if you have your smartphone, you can actually follow along with all my sermon notes and all the scriptures and stuff on version. It's a free Bible app, and we kind of do all of our notes on there every Sunday. Or you can take out your scriptures um, if you got your Bible. John chapter 20. I want us to look at three runners in this story. In fact, the story we're going to look at, if, if you know, you've seen the Gatorade commercials where like everyone's running and sweating, if, if there's ever a passage in the scripture that could be dubbed as a Gatorade commercial, it's this one because there's so much running in it. It comes from Mary and Peter and John. It's the morning of that first initial Easter, and there's a lot of running, a lot of out of breath, a lot of sweat in this. And we're going to look into the story, but I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop first, because here's these three people. And these three people have grown up understanding religion of their day, understanding the the backdrop of Judaism, which is the, the dominant religion of their area, of their region, of what they've known and they've given it the old college try. In fact, the two guys, they, they worked really hard, and they probably really wanted to be part of what's called the Talmudina, someone who would follow a rabbi around, and they would get to this place where they would learn and grow, but they didn't make the cut. That's why they're out doing their father's trade, because that was the rock star job of the day, and they didn't make the cut, and so they're fishermen. And then you have Mary, who understands this backdrop, but see, she's got some stuff in her past, some demons that have followed around, literally. And something happens one day for each three of these, as they run into Jesus in his ministry life, as he's walking around, interacting with people, teaching, healing, and there's something about him that they run into. And it begins to change how they see the world around them. They begin reorienting, reorienting their life around him, falling after him, and everything is going great. It seems like things are falling into place. And it's the week before when we celebrate Easter. It seems like it's hitting this crescendo of this movement of Jesus and what they're a part in this, this uh, journey that they're on with him. And they ride into town into Jerusalem, and there's crowds, like not just a couple like groupies, like crowds of people that are cheering Hosanna, they're cheering for jesus and they're riding they're kind of on the front seat of this adventure they're the close ones in the niche of this group and they're unbelievably enjoying the journey of the moment but see then the week of easter begins to unfold in reality it really begins to unravel as they begin to see that that cheering crowd turns and silence becomes, and what should have been the loud crescendo of the music in the moment they were in, all of a sudden the music stops. And they're left with silence. They're left with confusion. As Jesus is arrested, and they scatter, and from a distance they look in, they peer in, and they begin to see this mock trial. They begin to see him beaten, scourged by the Romans, and then taken off and crucified. And lowered down off the cross, dead, and carried to a tomb. And a stone rolled in front and sealed. And here's what I bet they thought the same thing you would. Well, I guess the song's over. See, <laughs> no one writes a story or a song on the other side of a tomb. Because here's what we know that's like the ultimate marker of the end. There's nothing after that, not even in fairy tales. And so everything they've hung on to is suddenly gone. And I don't know what caused Mary to go back to the tune. My hunch is that she was searching. See, what do you do? Where do you go when everything you put your hope in is suddenly gone? And in those early hours of that Sunday morning, we find Mary kind of making her way to this tomb, maybe to collect her thoughts, maybe just to kind of get her bearings to figure out the swirl of everything that's happened in the last seven days, and where do I go from here? And she rounds that corner. She sees a tomb open, and it wasn't like that three days earlier. A stone rolled away, it wasn't like that. Three days earlier, it was sealed, and there were was, was soldiers guarding it. And all of a sudden, she sees this empty tomb. And she, she's befuddled. She's confused. In fact, her initial reaction is skepticism, conspiracy. For some of you, I bet you feel a lot the same way sometimes, when people talk about religion, or pastor dudes start talking or people of Christians in your workforce begin to, to bring things up. And maybe what stirs within you is maybe what stirred within Mary, this conspiracy, this skepticism of what's really going on. So can I just read to you what takes place? She rounds the corner. She's there. Early in the morning, this is chapter 20, verse 1. Early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is John who's writing this letter. He always describes himself as the one Jesus loved. That's a beautiful description to hang on to for yourself, because you are loved. So John's writing this account. Mary shows up. Peter and John hear the story, and they're going, I don't know if I buy that. So they take off running to the tomb. She says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they've got him, where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples start for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, reaching the tomb first. I really think that's funny. You're writing a gospel account that's going to be handed down for generations, and John just wants to put in a little editorial, I'm faster than Peter. <laughs> I outran him. Just putting that in here to let everyone know. That had to be the biggest bet. I don't know if they made a bet before that, but maybe, I don't know. <clears throat> so he beats Peter there. Peter reached the tomb. So he reaches the tomb, uh, bent over and looked in, the strips of the linen lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter came along behind him, again, noting, okay, that he was behind. He was not as fast. And he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped up around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in the same place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple goes in. John goes in. What's interesting, when you look at these stories and you kind of compare it to the other gospel accounts, and these are writers who are trying to help you get an inside view of what's going on in that moment, is you have Mary, who's... Struck with this skepticism, with this conspiracy. Someone's trying to pull something over on me, and I don't know what's going on, and it wasn't like this the other day, and it shouldn't be playing out this way, and I don't get it, and it doesn't make sense. Struggling. And you got Peter, who we read in another gospel account, leaves this scenario, leaves this empty tomb walking out, and it says he just left wondering. Struck with confusion. Not putting the pieces together. And it doesn't seem like it should work. And and I don't even understand what's going on. And I bet, even in the back of his mind, he's still struggling with the condemnation that's hanging over his head. You see, Peter is the one who turned on Jesus. Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, no, no. Through thick or thin, I'm going down with you, Jesus. And then a little girl At the trial. Says, aren't you one of those guys that's with Jesus? No, no, no. I don't know him. And three times, he turns his back on his best friend. And the rooster crows. And this cloud of condemnation, I bet, surrounded Peter. And when everything you put your hope in is gone, and the music is stopped, and you're just left with this cloud, how could God ever forgive me? I went too far, one too many times. I can't believe I abandoned him in his biggest hour of need. And now it's over and I'll never have the chance for a redo. And I wonder if Peter's wrestling with that. And then you have John, who, maybe because he was fast, was out of breath and didn't go in, finally goes in, and it's like the light bulb goes off for John. In fact, the scripture says that he sees and believes. Clarity is what strikes him in this moment. Of everything he's seen around Jesus, of everything that he's known about himself and that Jesus has taught him about himself and about life and the world around him, it suddenly clicks for him. And clarity is like this broadcast on this giant billboard in his mind and he goes, I get it. He really is. Who he said he was, and there's no mystery anymore, and he leaves this encounter changed forever. See, those three people ran into Easter, and they were forced to face it. And for one, it was kind of this sense of conspiracy, the skepticism, this wondering, the searching still, arm's length, maybe. For Peter, it was confusion. Struggling. I don't quite understand. I don't get it. Maybe this cloud of condemnation still overwhelming him. There's no way for me to get back. And for John, it just became clear. What's fascinating is one of the biggest evidences for Christianity is the fact that there's no evidence for Jesus' body. I got to go to Jerusalem in January, got to stand at the Skull Hill, where Jesus was crucified, more than likely, that's where they projected to be, right on this main trade route, which is what the Romans would have done. They would have made crucifixion this spectacle, this um, mantra of don't mess with Rome. You will lose and you'll be like these. They'd make it a giant spectacle. Thousands upon thousands. And just a few hundred yards from there is a garden... And it has this cistern in it. This cistern's been watering this garden for well over 2,000 years. It's a beautiful garden. It's peaceful. And there's this tomb that's cut right into stone. And we know that Jesus was laid into a tomb cut right into stone because the scriptures tell us so. And that Um, you have two guys that would have taken him down that were Pharisees and, and religious leaders of the day, but didn't really go along. And they really actually liked Jesus and wanted to align themselves with him, but they were scared to do so. And so they did at his moment of death, and they put him in this tomb. And Sabbath was coming, so they didn't have time to make proper preparations for the body. And so that's why people are coming back three days later after the after the Sabbath time had ended and they were freed to go and back and to finish preparing the body. And in this garden tomb, a stone is rolled away. And you can see literally where this giant rock would have been rolled, the trough that it would have been in to move. In fact, I think you have this picture. And here's what I saw in January. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing there. The fascinating thing is so many leaders throughout history, you can go to their tomb, and they're there. They will not talk to you, but their body is there. And in this moment, when you look at running into Easter, you are forced to face a reality that historical evidence begins to point to a high, high probability of Jesus actually doing what he said he was going to do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the leaders. I'm going to die and on the third day. I'm going to rise again. He said that several times. I don't think his early followers got it. Some of the historical evidence is just the rise of the church in itself. How do people with no clout, no military power, no no measurement of any kind of connection or influence in any shape or form. Stand up to a nation that was bent on squishing and squashing out this movement of Jesus. How did it make it through that? How did it change that entire nation to take on Christianity as a state religion 300 years? Within 300 years, how do you explain that happening? How do you explain what Paul writes that this is what I've passed on to you, that Jesus appeared and he names these people and he names a crowd of 500 one time and that you can go talk to them and that the early Christians would have talked to these people. How do you explain the apostles standing up for their faith in a way? See, no one dies for a lie. You just wouldn't do that. But Peter, struggling with confusion, becomes convinced And he's actually crucified as a martyr for his faith, proclaiming that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the resurrected Son of God. And he says, you crucify me upside down because I'm not even worthy to be killed the same way my Savior was. You would not do that for a lie. And so Easter forces us to face something. And here's the choices that we have. Maybe like Mary. We can kind of keep it at arm's length and go, I don't know, preacher dude. I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of skepticism. I bet there was a conspiracy going on. And you know what? That's fair. You can ask those questions. I've asked those questions. Mary is struggling. And Jesus meets her in the garden. She thinks he's the gardener and says, They've taken my Savior. Where have they put him? And all he says is, Mary. And she hears her name, not the first time, probably several times, that she's heard Jesus say her name. And suddenly, the skepticism and this conspiracy theory that she's been living with vanishes, and clarity becomes real for her. For Peter, the angels say to Mary uh, later on to this group, said, you go tell the disciples he's going to meet you in Galilee, and you tell the disciples and Peter. I love that. That it's recorded that you could tell the disciples, and Peter. You make sure that this cloud of condemnation doesn't have to reside over Peter any longer. You will never do anything to lose the grace and the hope that a risen Savior can give you. That's what Jesus wants to make sure that Peter understands. So they go fishing one day, Jesus standing on the shore, He calls out, throw your net on the other side. They catch so many fish, they can't even pull it in. And John looks at Peter and says, it's him. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims 200 yards to shore on the Sea of Galilee to hug his Savior and to reconnect. And Jesus says, you build my church. And Jesus appears to these people throughout 40 days before he's taken back to heaven. The Bible tells us he now intercedes on our behalf, praying for you, praying for me. And this beautiful part of the Scripture is that we are constantly invited to run into Easter. And when you do, you're invited to say, I now get to run life with God. See, this Jesus story didn't end in a tomb. In fact, it was just getting warmed up. And now when we run into Easter, however you bump into it, you're invited to now run life with Jesus. That's the point of the Easter story, the point of the hope that we have. Do you know how the word hope is mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament? Every single one of them is after the resurrection. Why? Because we have a hope now. We have a hope that our story doesn't end. The impact doesn't uh, doesn't fade. The music doesn't stop. Because we serve a Savior who looked at a tomb and said, I know this used to be the marker of the end. I'm actually going to flip that. And this is now a marker of new beginnings. And here's the invitation for you today. I know that we can run away from things. I know we can run toward people and toward experiences. I know we can run after accomplishments and achievements and things we can go after. Define significance and define meaning. But friends, tonight you're running into Easter. And it's going to force you to choose. It's going to invite you to consider for yourself. Is it something I'm going to keep at arm's length? Is it something I'm I'm going to wrestle with? Is it something I'm confused about? Is it something that I just feel like there's no way God could ever love me? Jack, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done or where I've been. and You just don't know. Or maybe you ran into Easter and it's beginning to become a little more clear that God, the creator of this universe, knows your name, wants to run life with you. See, the beauty of the Easter story is that we're given the opportunity to run life with God. This next series that we're going to start next week is all about that. How do you begin to, to practice these? have some spiritual practices that help you align with living life with God? What does it mean to, to kind of align your life the way Jesus did and to live more and more like that? And Easter is this moment in history where Jesus says, I know this used to be a marker of something that was ending, and I'm going to flip this now. And now it's a marker of new beginnings. To any and to all who are willing to run into Easter and choose the clarity. See, I'm not convinced the stone was rolled away to let Jesus out. I don't think that's why it was rolled away at all. I think it was rolled away to let people in and to see for themselves, and maybe like John, to see and believe. Can I read you what John writes toward the end of his whole entire book? the whole book of the Gospel of John, he writes these words, and we'll close in a second, continue on with worship. We're going to move toward a time of communion in a second. Here's what John writes. Jesus performed many other signs and wonders in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, You may have life in his name. John is saying, look, this stuff's recorded, it's written down. It's so that you may know that Jesus really is who he says he is. That's what John discovered. That's what Peter discovered. That's what Mary discovered. And millions and millions of others throughout history on every continent where this story has come into play and people have run into it. And they forced themselves to look at it and to choose to either keep it at arm's length, to walk around and never commit, or to actually say yes to the story. Because it's the story that you're invited into to now run life with God. So here's the invitation tonight as the band comes up, and we're going to continue on in just a moment in communion. And we kind of do that every week around here, and the opportunity is for you uh, to remember Jesus' life and death and resurrection, that as you take that bread and you hold that, you remember that was his body given up for you. And as you drink that juice, it's a symbol of his blood shed on the cross for you that you may have life, that you may do what John is saying, that you may believe in him, not believe about. There's a major difference between believing about things and believing in someone. And as we kind of move toward that time, there's stations around the room, and so in a few moments you're going to have an opportunity to kind of get up from where you are, just create a space for you to, to kind of be in that moment. We're going to end our evening with a couple songs, and then we're going to be off into the night, but I'd be remiss if I didn't just extend a simple invitation, not a high-pressure thing, but a simple thing for you. Maybe you've been sitting here, and you're the person like Mary, who's like, dude, all religion is conspiracy. It's skept- You're just skeptic, and I get that. And maybe you're confused, and maybe maybe like Peter, you just think, I've done too much. And maybe somewhere in this story as you 've been running into easter god 's been nudging your heart to say maybe this is actually clearer than you've given it credit for maybe it 's actually the real deal and so here 's the invitation tonight i 'm just going to ask you to bow your head right where you 're at and uh, we 're just going to create some space for you to think and for some of you you 're a follower of jesus and and you come to this church you 're a part of this church family. And tonight, maybe this is just you running back into Easter and saying, God, I just want to re-anchor myself to the reality that the resurrection power of Jesus is available to me on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and the weekend too. That it's not about you having to run life by yourself. It's that you have a risen Savior who says... Come run life with me. You are never alone or abandoned. For some of you, maybe skepticism has been your journey. Maybe condemnation or feeling like God would never accept you has been your journey. And I'm here to tell you, tonight is your night to say, I want to come home and to have a relationship with my Creator. And I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray a simple prayer with me, and then we're going to move on, and that's all we're going to do. And so, here's that prayer. And if you believe this, and if you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I'm just going to ask you to pray this right along with me. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you came from me. That you died, and that you rose again. And I may have lots of questions, but I believe the clarity of your love for me. And I receive your hope and your grace tonight. As we continue into a time of communion, I'm going to offer us an opportunity. You're going to have space and time to kind of move around. And I'm just going to invite you. Here's what I know about us and humanity. We were never created or told to celebrate alone nobody goes to a birthday party by themselves. No one throws themselves their own birthday party. Because we're meant to celebrate alone. And if tonight you prayed that prayer with me, just to say the best I know how in this moment, I just want to start running life with God. And if that's you, then I'm going to invite you to not party and celebrate that alone. In fact, I'm going to be down to my left, your right, right down here. I've got a free uh, Bible I'd love to give you and just celebrate with you as a church. We want to be a church that is constantly inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's why we do everything we do. And we do that for you. And so if that was you tonight, I'm, I'm going to stay down here. People are going to be moving all around, and so you're not going to stand out. You're not going to be like, whoa, hey, look at that guy. Um, because there's going to be a lot of people moving around for communion and then worship, but I would love to celebrate with you. And so let me pray for us as we move into communion. And when the lights come back up, you'll have a space to move. There's two stations here in the middle and two down front. And if you prayed that prayer, just invite you to come celebrate with me. Get the free Bible we have for you. We'd love to help you in this journey of following after him as you run life with Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the beauty that we get to run life with you, that we get to hold on to you. More importantly, maybe, that you get to hold on to us. That, Father, you, uh, you died for us, and you rose again, that we would never walk our journey life alone. And so, as we remember Jesus, your sacrifice for us as we worship you in these closing songs. Would you let this Easter week be a week where we just are reminded and refreshed by your amazing grace, your amazing love for us. And Father, for each that maybe started that journey with you tonight, I pray that they would feel an igniting within their soul to journey with you, to investigate that, to figure that out, to run with you and to run with a church that wants to celebrate them and champion them moving forward. I pray that in Jesus' precious and holy and risen name, amen. Amen.